So I'm so glad to have you with us today. Uh, my name is Rick. I'm the pastor here. If you're a guest with us, uh, it is a joy to have you. And uh, we're in this series that we started last week called The Easter Challenge. And last week, the big thing, the big takeaway from last week was that Easter changed everything, right? Like the world was never the same after Easter happened. After the tomb was found empty, after Jesus died on the cross and rose from our grave, nothing was ever the same. Easter changed everything. And so we're going to be spending a few weeks talking about how Easter can change our lives. We're going to talk about how God has called us. God has called us for a purpose, and we're going to talk about what that purpose looks like because of what Jesus did on the cross and because the tomb was empty. And so today we're going to talk about the church, and uh, I love the church. Like, I've invested my life in the church, and I love that what God is doing in the church. And uh, so today we're going to talk a little bit about the church, and we're going to talk about how the church needs you and you need it. And so, um, so I think we would all agree uh, if I asked a question of you, if we sat down and had coffee together and we were sitting across the table from each other, and, and I think we would all agree that the church isn't what it used to be. And I think we would all agree that church uh, and research uh, supports it, that church attendance is on a decline, and it has been on a de- decline in America for the last number of years. And, and people used to go to church more often. And uh, actually, average the average 20 years ago of the amount of time that people went to church is that the average person went to church three times a week. Three times a week. The average amount of uh, time that people go to church today is three times a month. So church is different. It's changed. And that means that a large part of the change, it's not so much fewer believers as much as it is a lack of consistent worship. It's a lack of people coming to church on a regular basis, Sunday after Sunday. And there's this guy named Pastor Kerry Newhoff. Uh, he does a lot of research. He writes a blog. He pastors a church. And he gives us several reasons for this trend and why this trend of less church attendance is continuing to grow. And in his article, he says that families... One of the reasons that church attendance is declining is that families are putting a higher value on kids' activities and on weekend sports, and how that commitment has cut into the church. Travel ball and different things that are happening on the weekends are are cutting into the commitment to to be a part of the church. He also suggests that blended and single families that are are often uh, have to split the amount of time that families can spend at church because kids are at one home on one weekend and another home on the other weekend. And so you don't see that consistency in going to church and where they spend their time. He points out another reason is that online options uh, for spiritual growth resources have, have also changed our worship habits that we don't even have to leave our living room anymore. We can, we can either uh, cast it onto our TV, we can watch YouTube on our TV, and we can watch pastors from all over the world, we can watch churches from all over the world. And so that has changed our worship habits. And then finally, he says, that, he says this, a final reason why the church uh, attendance has declined is that people just don't feel guilty about missing church anymore. They just don't feel guilty about it. And, and I'm glad um, that, that the, about, I'm, I'm glad about the last one because guilt is not from God. Like guilt is not something that God does in our lives, but he does convict us. The Holy Spirit does convict us. And so while the Holy Spirit may convict you and urge you to get up and to go to church, and maybe the Holy Spirit did that to you this morning. Maybe you're like, man, I don't want to go to church. Maybe you, the alarm clock went off and you rolled over and you hit snooze for the fifth time. But there's this conviction within you that, that said, hey, you need to get up and you need to go to church. 
And so it's good that the Holy Spirit does that. But guilt, guilt is never a good reason to be here. But the Holy Spirit often does convict us to come and to come to church for our own good and for our own growth. But let me just tell you that there are some amazing reasons to be here at church. There's some amazing reasons to be here at Warehouse Church. So we can do one of two things. We can either get frustrated by the lack of participation in church, or we can realize that God has placed us in this time at this place for a reason. And so God, you know, I thought about this this week, and I thought, you know, God could have made me a pastor uh, at any time in the history of the life of the church. Like God could have made me a pastor when the church was, was increasing, when it was on the ups, uh, upswing. God could have made me a pastor of a church when the church was at its height. God could have made me a pastor of a church when it was on the decline or starting to decline. God could have made me a pastor of church at any one of those times. And guess what? God could have made you also, placed you in his church at any of those times as well. But he didn't. He chose this time. He chose to put you and me here for this time, for this place, for this reason. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, there's this interesting uh, Bible passage, and, and you don't have to go to it. I'll, I'll share it with you in just a minute. But uh, anytime you see a list in the Bible, um, don't just skip over it because oftentimes when there's a list in the Bible, there's something, a nugget in there. There's a reason why there's a list there. Like in the, in the Bible, there's a reason everything's there. And so, so often when we're reading the Bible and we get to these lists, we, we have this, this urge or this tendency to just skip it. Be like, oh, I'll just go to the end. I'll skip over this list. But if you do that, you miss little nuggets like this one because here in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, you find a list of mighty men and um, a list of warriors who came to fight and help King David. And it begins, it says this in verse 32, it says, from Ishkar... Uh, men who understood the times, say that with me, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. And so there's these men that chose to follow David, that chose to back David because they understood the times. And maybe this verse simply means that the men understood the times in such a way that they knew that David was the better choice over King Saul. Or perhaps it means that these men had a deeper understanding of fighting and of human nature and, or even the politics that were going on at the time. Either way, I think we today, as the church, we have two options. We can either ignore the times we live in and just watch them fly by, or we can understand the times in which God has placed us and take action. See, those are the two choices. We can sit on our couches and we can say, you know what, this is just the times we live in, it's just crazy times, and not understand them and just stay on our couches and watch time go by. Or we can say, you know what, God's put me here for a reason. So I'm going to understand the times in which God has placed me, and I'm not going to sit on my couch anymore, but I'm going to get up off my butt and I'm going to do something about it. And see, just as the men from Ishkar put their lot with David's success, I can tell you this, that I know without a shadow of doubt that I'm putting my lot with Jesus and with the local church for this time in history. Like, I'm not going to be one of those pastors that gets down because church attendance is on decline all across America. I'm not going to be one that goes, woe is me and woe is the church, because here's what I understand. 
that God has placed me and God has placed you here for this time. And I don't know if there's ever been a time in, church, in history when God's church has been more relevant and more desperately needed than the times in which we find ourselves right now. And one of the reasons that I'm so excited about the church is because I know who started it. Do you know who started the church? Jesus started the church. And as he started the church, it's his baby, it's his idea, it's his design. And as he started the church, he promised, he made a promise. He says in scriptures that it will not, that it would prevail, that it would prevail no matter the times or the circumstances that it finds itself in. So Jesus said, I'm going to start the church. I'm going to begin the church. And here's my promise to the church, that it would prevail, that it will win, it will succeed, it will overcome no matter what. And in Scripture, we see this in Matthew. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16 or your Bible app and, and open it up with me. And Peter has just rightfully identified Jesus as the Messiah. And this gets Jesus really excited because Peter recognizes who Jesus is. And so he says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus responds. And he responds this way in verses 17 and 18. He says, Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And he says this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not, everybody say will not, Hates of Hades will not overcome it. You see, in this scripture, in this passage, this is where Jesus establishes the church. And the Greek word for church is the word ekklesia. And you want to say that with me? Ekklesia. And it means a local assembly or a gathering. The word ekklesia, the word that Jesus used for the church, it means a gathering of people. And it's interesting to note that the word church throughout the Bible, anytime you see the word church, you see the word ecclesia, it never ever refers to a building. It always refers to a gathering of people. Now, if you and I, if we were to go out and hang out with our friends and we say, hey, and they weren't church people, they didn't hang around the church, and say, hey, uh, what do you think the church is? They would tell you, oh, it's that place down the road with the steeple on it, maybe white, maybe got some stained glass windows, uh, and, you know, and it's got a, it might have a bell on it. That's the church, right? And, and, and I would say, no, that's the building, but that's not the church because the building is not the church. You and I, we are the church. You and I are the ecclesia. We are the local gathering of the church. This building is just where we gather. This is the place where we come, but the church is made up of you and of me. And here's the most important thing that we need to understand today. And it's this, that Jesus is always at the center of his church. Jesus is always at the center. He's the foundation of the church. He's what everything else is built upon. And if you show me a church where Jesus isn't at the center I'll show you a church that isn't alive because Jesus is always at the center of the church. And Peter, Peter was the first stone used 
in the building. That Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and it's going to be a grand, beautiful, wonderful, mosaic church. I mean, I got plans for this place. This is going to be an amazing church. And so he says, when I build my church, he said, Peter, you're going to be the first stone. You're going to be the first stone in the building. And Peter, when he said yes to Jesus, guess what? The church began. And it began because Easter changed everything. Because if you see Peter before the empty tomb, if you see Peter before, he was, he was kind of wimpy. He was a little... Um, unsure of what was going on. He, he was kind of a wishy-washy guy. Like the night that Jesus was being tortured, a, a, a little girl around a campfire said, hey, aren't you that guy that followed Jesus? He's like, no, no, no. I'm, I don't know Jesus. I don't know that guy. I don't know, even know who he is. And he did it not once, not twice, but three times. And so and, and before the empty tomb, Peter was just afraid. But then something happens. A transformation takes place. And Peter kicks it into gear because the Holy Spirit comes and invades his life and transforms his life. And then he becomes a powerhouse for the Lord. Just read the first half of Acts and you'll see Peter preaching boldly. You'll see preacher professing that, that Jesus is the risen Lord. You'll see the power in his voice and in his actions. And so here's something wild to think about. And I, I want you to think about this. Jesus has given the church, he's given you and me, not the building, but you and me, tremendous power and responsibility. Just think about that. Jesus has given us a tremendous power and responsibility because verse 19 says this. Check out what Jesus says next. He says, I will give you the keys. Jesus is like, Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says that? That we, the ecclesia, we, the church, will have power to bind and loose things here on earth and also in heaven. And I thought about it, like, well, I'm a car guy, and, uh, and I like cars, and I, and I like fast cars. And, uh, and so let me just put this into car terms if I can for you. Let's say that the good news is this. Maybe. There it is. Oh, yeah. No, just kidding. Let's just say that this, this loaded 2022 Mustang Shelby GT350. So, like, here's the deal. Oh, oh, is right. Oh. And so, you know, Pastor Appreciation Month is coming up in October. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> But, but let me just tell you, this car right here, it has all the power it needs. Michael Ellis, I don't want to hear anything. It has all the power that it needs to get up and go. This Mustang is one fast mammer jammer. And I want you to imagine that Jesus comes up to you and he says, here are the keys. Where are you going to take it? Here's the keys. To this beautiful thing that I've created, where are you going to take it? And I think that's what this passage is saying. The Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and in me. The power to bring chains, the power to bring freedom is found in the gospel. And check it out. God doesn't need us. But he values us and loves us so much that he wants you to be a part 
of his work here on earth. And so he says, here's the gospel. Here are the keys. Now, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And the church, the church has the keys to the kingdom. The church has the keys to bring the full power of the gospel to a hurting and sinful world. We have the keys. And the question is, are we going to take the keys and go for a ride? Or are we going to park it in the garage so it doesn't get dirty? Right? Like, are we going to take it for a ride and use it for what it was created to be used for? Or are we going to say, oh, I don't want it to get dirty. I don't want it to get dented. I don't want it to get dinged. I don't want to get in an accident. I'm just going to put it in the garage and leave it there. And for me, for me, it's an easy choice. As long as the Lord allows me to have influence here at Warehouse Church, we're not going to put the gospel in the garage. We're going to pull the gospel out of the garage, uh, and, and, and we're going to ride it, and we're going we're gonna to use all of its horses to accomplish what God has created us to do. But so many churches, they pull the gospel out of the garage on Sunday morning for a nice buff and a nice shine, and they might turn the key and listen to it roar and go, oh, that sounds really good. And they might wipe the dust off it, and then they'll put it right back in the garage because they don't want it to get dirty. They don't want it to get tainted. They don't want it to get uh, any dust on it. But not for me. Not for me. As long as we have influence, we're going to take the keys. We're going to come screaming out of the parking lot, and we're going to mash the pedal to the floor, and we're going to see what the gospel of Jesus has under its hood. You know what used to frustrate me? I, I, I restored a 1968 Ford um, F-250, a truck. And, uh, and I loved it. I lo- well, it was a love-hate relationship. I loved it most of the time, and I hated it when it didn't work. And, uh, and so I restored this thing, and I would go to car shows. I loved taking it to car shows. And what frustrated me the most was there were so many people that would bring their cars to car shows, and they only, dro- they only drove their cars once, twice, maybe three times a year. And that was to the car show. And then they would put it back in their garage because they didn't want anything to happen to it. They didn't want any, anything happen to the paint job. They didn't want anything to happen to get in a wreck. Uh, and, and they would be like, how often do you drive your truck? And I'm like, dude, I drive my truck as often as I can. Like, I didn't build it to sit in a garage. I built it to drive it. I built it to show it off. I built it to get to know people. It was a conversation starter. There's no way I'm parking this thing in the garage. And that's how God created the church. He didn't create the church to be parked in a garage. He created it to be driven. He created it to be shown. He created it to have conversations. And it might get a little messy, and it might get a little ding here and there, uh, but this car called the gospel was meant to be driven, and we have been given the keys to the kingdom. So let me quote my favorite, one of my favorite auto builders, letter, rip, tater, chip, right? Like, it's time for us to get in the driver's seat and go because Jesus isn't done with the church. We have the power to move forward, and we have the power to transform lives right in the palm of our hands. Jesus has given us the keys, and he's saying, now what are you going to do with it? And the Bible promises us that the gates of hell will not stand against it. That is good news. Now, I've heard a lot of people tell me this. They say, you know what? I'm glad that you like the church. I'm glad you're passionate about the church, but I'm just not into 
organized religion. And I get that. I get that throughout history, the church has messed up. Throughout history, the church has forgotten its mission. It's gotten off mission. It's failed its purpose. And sometimes we get caught up, even inside the church, and we think that the church is all about the organizational structure and flow charts and who's leading what and who's doing what and power hungry, and, but it's really not. Like the church isn't about all that stuff. The church is about the people that we are called to reach. And people like the 90% that are living here in Floyd County, we are called to reach. God has handed us the keys. And he said, hey, it's time to take this thing for a drive. It's time to go and to reach the lost. And when people talk to me about organized religion, I say, you know what? One of the best things I love about organized religion is this that it's organized. I love that we can organize in such a way that we can get stuff done. I love that we as a church, that we have a mission statement, that we're all about transforming lives. I love that we have core values, that that's why we do what we do, that, that these are the, the way that we do the things that we do, and that we're going to love differently, and that we're going to live real, and that we're going to grow in our faith, and that we're going uh, to think legacy, and we're going to celebrate stories, because that's how we get stuff done, Right? That's how we do the things that God has called us to do. So I love that the church is organized. It needs to be organized uh, because when we come together and it's organized and God has called us to come together to find ways to live and to share and to spread the truth and the power of the gospel, it happens in the church. And so we have a common mission. Each and every one of us has a common mission and call in our lives. And let me just share this with you, church. You know, that's why I call you church, because you're the church. And let me just share this with you. We can't complete our mission and our calling in our lives without each other. We can't do it on our own. We need each other. Paul says in Romans 12, 4, and 6, he says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though uh, many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Sure, we can get some things done by our own, on our own, and by ourselves, but, but we can accomplish so much more when we're together. It's like a thumb without a hand or fingers. In the end, the thumb by itself doesn't do a whole lot. I mean, I guess you could stick it in your ears so you didn't have to listen to me, but that's about all the thumb would be good for. But, but you put your thumb with other fingers and there is no end to the possibilities of things that you can grasp and open and move and pull and shape. And it's the same with the body of Christ. We all have different gifts, every single one of us. And when we all come together, working in unison, working together, we open up possibilities and opportunities that we could only dream about on our own. Because we're better together. And here's the truth. You can't be, you cannot be all that God created you to be without Warehouse Church. And Warehouse Church cannot be all that it was created to be without you. Because every single one of us matters. We all matter. So what, if, so what if trends say that church attendance is down? We're not defined by the trends of the culture. As a matter of fact, we're called to shape the culture. We're supposed to be culture shapers, not just say, oh, that's what the culture's like. And so, so with the power of the gospel at our hands, we can change the world. 
when we come together. And that's why the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 25 says, not giving up meeting together. He says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing because the author of Hebrews knew that we need the church. You see, it's not enough to sit at your home and watch church online constantly and say, I don't need to go to church because I can just watch it online. If you're watching online, that's fine. That's great. And, uh, but we got to get in the habit of coming back together. Coming together actually affects who we are and what we become. And as I read the Bible, I find that the followers of Jesus are meant to be connected to the local church. And it fuels us, right? And it equips us. It makes us more powerful. It makes us faster. It makes us better when we're together. And so our time together is so important. Our time together is so important for our growth. Listen, uh, Allison and Belle are counting on you. They need you here as they grow in their faith. And guess what? You need Belle and Allison as you grow in your faith because they have ways to encourage you that you never imagined. And so we need each other. It's so important for our growth. It's important for our unity and for our purpose. And no wonder the Bible so clearly says that we shouldn't forsake it. So I can't promise you that you always come here on Sundays and learn something new or exciting when you come, but I do know this. I do know that every Sunday we need a reminder of the truth, that there is so much flying at us on a daily basis, so much stuff coming at us that we need constant reminders of God's truth in our life. And when we get together on Sundays, we're reminded of that truth. That's why it's so important that we come together so we can be reminded of the truth of God's word, the truth of who God is, and the truth of who we are in Jesus. See, I'm not concerned about how many people are attending church uh, less often and how that makes our attendance lower as much as I'm concerned about if we stop gathering together, the truth will quietly slip away from our hearts and minds, and we'll start buying into the lies of this world. And it amazes me how quickly I forget or question God's goodness, his power, and his love, and the improvements that he's made in my life. I forget that so quickly. But here's the deal. Gathering here with you every Sunday helps keep me on track. When I come here on Sunday, I'm refreshed. When I come here on Sunday, I'm renewed. When I come here on Sunday, I remember the truth. So it's important that we gather together on Sundays because it reminds us of the truth. And it also, it helps us to bring help and support for life's difficult moments. And when we come together, we help each other, we encourage each other, and we support one another because life is hard. And we're all going to face hard times uh, at some point in some way. And I love some of the stories that we shared in small groups on Wednesday night and how people are leaning on their groups how people are like, man, I, I'm so thankful for my groups. I'm thankful for the men and women in my group because when I'm having a bad day, I know I can share it with them and they'll pray with me or encourage me or they're there for me. And when tough times come for you, I want your church family to be here for you. When tough times come in my life, I want you to be here for me. What a beautiful thing it is when we gather together and extend the grace and care of God to one another. See, there's an even a more important reason than these two for why we need to gather together every week. And it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's all about our creator and our savior. 
You see, every week we gather, and every week we pray, and every week we sing songs, and every week we read his word uh, and, and, and worship him. And when we gather together on Sundays, we worship God. Why? Because he's worthy of our praise. First Chronicles says this, it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due him. You see, God deserves our worship. It says, bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. And I wonder, when you come to worship, do you come wanting to give God what he deserves? Are you come to bring him glory? Do you come to worship him? Because listen, we need to worship God. To worship God is to declare who God is and, and what place he has in our lives. And as we make that declaration, our hearts and our minds line up with the truth of our worship. And so here's what I know that I know that I know, that worship transforms us. It changes us. And as we worship, we draw near to God. And anytime you look in the Bible and you see anybody in the Bible draw near to God, they are forever changed because worship transforms us. What we do here on Sunday morning is an essential part of our personal relationship with Jesus. It's so important that you're here because it transforms who we are. It makes us become more like what God desires for us to be. But even if worship didn't abs did absolutely nothing for us, we should gather to worship God because he deserves it, right? That should be reason enough. Our time together provides an opportunity for us to express our thanks to our Savior. So church, just remember this, that your worship matters. There's nothing like the church when it's working right because your worship matters. And I think about this, I think about that truck and and that's that phrase, there's nothing like the church when it's working right. There was nothing like my truck when it was working right. I loved my truck when it was working right. Like, it was like, oh, yeah, when I go out on a drive and everything was working right, it was firing all cylinders, the steering wasn't wonky, uh, it wasn't sputtering, it wasn't stopping, it wasn't overheating. When everything was working right and I had uh, either Jackson or, and Jen or my dog or whoever in the cab with me, that was a good day when it was working right. But the moment it got off kilter, man, that day went south really fast. And that's why it's sad to me. It's sad that nothing is more sad than a church that's not working right. And, and nothing more disappointing than a gathering of believers who have decided to park the gospel in the garage to keep it safe, to keep it clean, and to keep it pure. I was a part of a church a long, long time ago, and and they built this beautiful building. It was, it was just a monument. It was, a, it was like the Taj Mahal. It was a gym, and it had a preschool in it, and it had rooms for our students, and it was, it was huge, and it was big, and it was beautiful. And so we started building our youth ministry, and kids started flooding in there. And before you knew it, there started to be like chips in the paint, right? And there, used, there started to be in scratches on the wall. There was a few holes, as a matter of fact, because some things went flying through the air and hit the wall. And, 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 the, and it started getting dinged up, and it wasn't perfect anymore. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, the paint wasn't perfect. It was chipped and weathered and beaten. And the people in the church started complaining. They're like, oh, you got to keep that. You got to keep those kids under control. You got you to gotta do this. You got to do that because this is what... They were a church that just wanted to keep it in the garage, they didn't want to do the ministry that was necessary to reach the kids in our community so that they might know Jesus. They didn't want to get it dirty 
or dented or scratched or dinged. And church, what an amazing honor and privilege that God has given us. You see, God loves ecclesia. God loves that you're a part of his church. And it's our job to do our very best to make sure it's working right. But it only works right when we realize and understand that the local church, it's not a building. It certainly isn't a pastor. It's not a ministry team leader. It's a gathering fierce followers of Jesus Christ who are united uh, by love for him. And so as the worship team comes up, I want you to think about this. A church that is firing on all cylinders is a church where every individual in the gathering takes his or her place. Determined to take the keys of the kingdom and to charge forward with the gospel of Jesus for the glory of his name, for the freedom of his people, so that every man and every woman and every child may know who Jesus is. And for the sake and the health of his church, and for the sake and the health of your own growth, and for the sake of those we are called to reach, I want to challenge you today to do this. I want to challenge you to be the church with me. Like, let's take that thing out. Let's see what it can do. Let's, let's rev the engine. Let's go for a ride. And let's see where God takes the church in Floyd County. Because here's what I know to be true. That God never created his church to sit in the garage. He never created his church to come out on Sunday morning, get a nice polish and a nice buff maybe listen to it roar and then park it back in. That's not what God did. He created the church with the attitude of letter rip, tater chip. He did. He gave it an engine so that it would run fast. He gave it beauty so others would be, uh, want to be around it. He gave it you and me so that we might spread it. So church, Warehouse Church needs you, and you need Warehouse Church. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your church. God, I thank you that it is beautiful. God, I thank you that it is, that it is diverse. God, I thank you that it is all shapes and all sizes. God, I thank you that it's powerful. God, I thank you that it has a purpose. And Father, just as you are transforming Belle's life and Allison's life, you're transforming every person's life in this room because you have a plan and a purpose for us. And as we discover that plan and purpose for our lives, we recognize that we need each other. We need the church. We need ecclesia. We need the people. We need one another because, Lord, you created us to be better together. We can go farther together. We can be stronger together. We can accomplish more together. So, Father, maybe there's someone in this room today who isn't yet a part of your church. 
Lord, maybe today is the day that they would say, hey, I want to be a part of God's church. I want to be one of those blocks. I want to be one of the bricks that builds that beautiful, amazing church. And if that's you today, the Bible says that all that we have to do is confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that God died on the cross and rose from the dead for our sins. So if you're sitting here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, and today is that day, that's all you do. Just pray. Say, God, I believe that I am lost without you, that I have lived a life of sin, but today I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the grave for me so that I might be rescued, so that I might be saved, so that I might be able to become a part of your church. Father, I surrender my life to you. Come, make me a part of your church. Father, there's many of us that we've been parking in the garage. We have the keys, keys to the kingdom sitting in our hand. Father, we're afraid to take it any further than our driveways. Father, would you embolden us? Would you equip us? Would you empower us to take it to the streets where it was designed to go? God, help us to take the keys of the kingdom and use them for what you've called us to use them for, to be your witnesses to the world. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your reminder of your love for us and the symbolism of baptism. God, thanks for loving us in the many ways that you do. In your name we pray, amen. As you all stand up today to sing our closing song, I just wanna remind you, you're welcome to come to these this area up front. We call it our altar area. We'd love for you to come and pray. If you said yes to Jesus, you want someone to come and pray with you, just tap me, I'm right here in the front row. I'd love to join you in prayer.